Welcome to the 68th episode of the Young Terps Podcast, powered by Viner Fourgates. This is your host, Mason Viner. And your co-host, Jordan Viner. And on today's podcast, we have a lot of non-rev conference tournament news, along with Maryland's loss to Michigan State 24-3 yesterday. And before we get into all that, this podcast is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals. Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin Party Rental resource. Allied has what you need, whether you're hosting a large wedding, putting together a small luncheon, or setting up a street festival. Allied has the tents, chairs, linens, china, and all the other accessories that you're looking for. Wayne from Terp Talk has known Donnie at Allied since 1995. Located in Beltsville, Maryland, right next to College Park, and serving the entire DMV, contact Allied today for a free, no obligation quote, at 301-986-0067 or visit them at alliedpartyrentals.com. Now for the Terrapin Rundown. Well, to get started here for the non-revs, Maryland soccer won at Michigan State in double overtime today, one to nothing, setting them up for a match with Indiana in the conference semifinals Friday at 1 p.m. Well, that's an odd time. Indiana, of course, one of the top teams in college soccer. It's going to be a tough task for Maryland, but the way they're playing defense right now, hopefully that will lead them to compete in this game and hopefully get a win to set them into the NCAA tournament. If they can get in the NCAA tournament despite the year they've had, then... Well, it's looking like that they would will be, be. Well, that'd be something. They've had a strong finish here, so Indiana would really cap that off, really put the sweetener on top of that tournament bid. Field Hockey won the Big Ten Championship this weekend. They had a 9-1 win against Ohio State and then a 2-1 win against number 8 Iowa. What can I say? A great end to a great season. Well, it's not quite the end of the season yet. They still got that tournament run, hopefully, in front of them. It looks like they will be the number two seed overall in the NCAA tournament. Volleyball top Northwestern 3-1 on Friday and then lost another broom against number four, Illinois, 0-3 on Sunday. And they'll take on Michigan on Wednesday at 7. Yeah, it's kind of the story of the season, right? They beat the, I guess, lower-tier teams, the Big Ten, then they get hammered by the upper-tier teams. They're just in the middle right now. Yeah, hopefully they'll, you know, Todd was talking about their tournament bid, and it really comes down to that win they had against USC last year, which was a top-tier team, and them not having that win this year. So hopefully if they can pull together maybe one or two upsets, they can might be able to sneak into the NCAA tournament, but it is looking unlikely at this point. Unfortunately, that is the case. Women's basketball played their second exhibition match against Clarion College. 127 to 41. That's some go- that's some Golden State Warrior numbers right there. Yes, it is. And you know, if the Warriors pushed like Maryland women's basketball did through this, maybe they could win a game like 127 to 50 or something. But you know, they back <laughs> off in the second half, unlike Maryland women's basketball did. Yeah, the Stars played almost 30 minutes during this game. Not sure why Brenda was pushing him so hard, but I'm sure she had a reason. Wrestling is playing in the Princeton Open today. Hopefully. You can get some individual wins, maybe a team win too, but them Ivy League schools are surprisingly good at wrestling. Yes, they are. And that's going to do it for the non-rev portion of the rundown. Uh, let's talk about some other things that happened this week, and we'll start with the, in air quotes, fight between Wade Lees and backup punter Matt Barber. So this was one of the stranger stories, I think, coming out this week, which is saying us a lot. But Mason, let's guess what happened. Well, it seemed like Barber's been a guy that 
complained a lot, had some, you know, had a nickname of something like the toxic culture kid. That's what I've heard. And, well, just kind of egged Wade Lee's on. And if you're going to pick someone to fight against, why would you pick Wade Lee's, who's 31, and his brother's a boxer, so why would you ever pick Wade Lee's if you're going to pick on someone? And he kind of egged him on until Wade Lee's just had enough and punched him in the face a few times. So where it gets interesting is the player accounts that have come out. The players have, of course, become very um, public recently with all the stuff that's been flying around as they try to get their versions of the story out. Wade Lee said, quote, The reports about the altercation between me and Matt Barber are far from the truth. There are many inaccuracies in the way he, he portrays that day. Additionally, the altercation had nothing to do with Coach Durkin's reinstatement. I've never tried to force my opinions on someone else. I have over 100 teammates that can back me on that. To which Trey Watson replied in a tweet that cited a Baltimore Sun story, said this piece of fabrication is an absolute joke and a mockery of our team, not going to affect us moving forward in any way. Um, several other people have backed this. Ellis McKinney also said Matt Barber's story was a lie. So it seems like this got blown way out of proportion. Yeah, and, you know, more, way more players than just those two back yeah, in the Lees. Also yesterday, Coach Candace said when asked about Matt Barber, if he's still on the team, he said, I haven't seen Matt around, and when I do, we can, quote, talk about his role on the team moving forward. Yeah, it seems like it just got way overblown. Matt Barber seems to have um, totally exaggerated everything about the story. The Diamondbacks also backed up that that's not what took place. So I don't know why he would lie about this, but it definitely seems like he did. Yeah. Just sad story. James Brady stepped down this week from his position as the chairman of the Board of Regents. Um, very surprising to me. Uh, not too surprising to me. As soon as Governor Hogan stepped in, um, everything looked like everyone that was involved seemed like it was going down. Now, that hasn't happened yet, but I'm sure – I'm almost sure that everyone is going down from this. Uh, if you, you're probably more plugged in than I am right now, so I'll. Well, that's that's I not from you... anybody that that I am plugged in to. That's just my opinion. When the governor gets involved, like Tennessee, it's just everyone's going down. It's just kind of how it works. As soon as politics gets involved, everything gets becomes an absolute mess, and it just seemed like Hogan had to do something with the election coming up given the pressure that was put on by the other side of the table, was just ripping him constantly. Like, Brady's his hand-picked guy, Brady did this, Brady's in Hogan's pocket. So it just, it was it was going to happen. Yeah, um, I didn't put this in our notes here, but the Maryland's, University of Maryland is currently up for accreditation review by the Maytag um, Board of Accreditation. For those who don't know, college accreditation essentially means that they are verified as a legitimate institution of education. And the fact they're under review is really, really bad. Yeah, what a, what a mess. What a, what a mess this whole thing's caused. Not only on football, not only on athletics, to just the university as a whole has just been ripped this, apart. This is turning into one of the biggest scandals in the university system history. And it's not even a scandal in my opinion. It's uh, let's move on. Let's actually skip down to another topic. 
media versus Maryland. This narrative that's emerged that Mason, you are a big supporter of. Well, yeah, I am a big supporter of it. And I felt like it for quite some time now. And it's maybe for the players, we've seen it more since the Matt Barber story. But for me, it's been the whole time. And it really started when a long time ago when Barry Svaluga from the Post wrote that if you have a Maryland degree, you should be disgraced. And that was that was happened now probably a month ago. And that banter has continued out of the Washington Post. And now you see it out of almost every media outlet because you know what? Media now needs clicks. And clickbaiting is a thing. And Matt Barber is a clickbait story. But really where I'm and I believe the players are is that they just blow everything out of proportion. The team's divided, the team's this, the team's that. They don't know what's going on in that room. I don't know what's going on in that room. They are the only people that's going on that knows what is happening there. And they constantly say, we are together, and this, you know, things like the Matt Barber only makes them stronger, but the media still likes to fantasize about that and drive things out of control. And today, another step happened with that where there was a picture of Kasim Hill put out by a reporter from WUSA 9, which is CBS in D.C., Northern Virginia, and it was Kasim with his both of his middle fingers pointed down looking at a media camera, and the guy, who was a University of Maryland graduate, said, hashtag, I don't know, let me pull it up on my phone here, but Jordan, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I do, and I completely agree that, well, I mean, you're just trusting media, a lot of it is influenced by me, we can both agree on that, so yeah, I agree with you. And that the media has totally hyped this and taken this out of the players' hands, university's hands. The Matt Barber case was a 100% prime example of that. I don't understand the why WAPO and Baltimore Sun have gone against Maryland so much. Because in, from my experience, the university has always been very nice to Washington Post and Baltimore Sun. And it's just really disheartening. Because, you know, I read those newspapers that this has, they've gone so negative against university for almost no reason. Well, whoa, before you talk about the Sun, Don Marcus from the Baltimore Sun has not said anything negative about Maryland, pretty much nothing, throughout this whole time. And sure, there are other people there, and a lot of them, and this is different from the Sun and the Post, say opinion on them in the Baltimore Sun. But the Post, just in their general writing about both the University of Maryland and the opinion writing and just all the writing from the Post just in general, has had kind of that negative tone, and some of it's really just been far off. No, and a lot, we need to, I need to emphasize this, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit here. Um, Maryland people, like Jeff Ehrman, Keith Kavanaugh, um, guys who are around Maryland a lot, have generally not gone negative against the university, but the national media and some of the local media definitely has. Okay, so now back to the Kasim Hill thing. Yeah. So the guy by the name of Adam Longo, who again, he works for WUSA 9 CBS in Washington. The tweet quote is, Maryland starting quarterback Kasim Hill leaving practice yesterday. I know, silly me, of course there's no problem with the culture of Maryland football. And then the hashtag is do better Maryland, and then there's the picture of Kasim. Come I mean, on. If, you're, if you're a Maryland player, I have no earthly idea how you can trust the media at this point. And you can't. The guy is a professor at the University of Maryland. So, no, I got it wrong, actually. Actually, no, no. He's it, also, the guy tweeting or taking the picture? 
the guy who tweeted it, and I believe he also took the picture. He's a his Twitter is journalist news anchor at WUSA nine, professor University of Maryland, dad of three, fitness addict. Okay, now this is ranting. And at the bottom it says alumni of Fork Union, which is a school around here, and University of Maryland Merrill College, which is the journalism school. Come on, really? You're a professor at Maryland and a graduate, and you're going to put that out there and say that. And you wonder, and now people wonder why there's no access to the players and there's no, you know, the players don't want to talk to the media anymore. Come on, like to shoot your own university like that's just nothing that I would do, but I understand why, you know, people that are super journalistic would. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't fault players at all for not trusting the media. I don't really trust, I don't really read most of the Maryland stuff anymore. It makes it's me. So, it makes, it me, makes me mad. Yeah, it makes me mad too. So I just I just stop reading it. Like I'll read the headline and be like, oh God, why? Why? Because I, why? I, I mean, a lot of people talk about politics like this now, but I don't trust the media enough to feel like it's worth my time, worth my clicks. I, I don't well, think I have a hard time believing anything that's out there right now. I'll backtrack on that. I do read and believe Terrapin Times, Jeff Ehrman in Inside Maryland Sports, Scott Green. And Don Marcus from the Sun. The rest of it, though, it's just, and especially the national stuff, is just, it just bothers yeah. me. I just, yeah, I, people that I'll, don't I'll know the situation down, coming in here and judging it. I'll double down. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I am, too. I'll read, I read certain things. I still read basketball news for the most part, which, by the way, I didn't mention this earlier. Basketball season starts in two days. So I also have to remember that, guys. There is supposedly hope. There is hope. There is hope from what I've seen and what I've read from and what I've been told. There is hope for basketball. Um, um, as far as this media thing and kind of wrapping it up, here's a perfect example. Yesterday after the game, there was – and it popped up on my Twitter. I'm not sure really why. It was a story from the New York Times about Maryland football. And it was like the dysfunction ends in a 24-3 defeat. And I was just like – I didn't see a New York Times reporter at the game. Yeah, I saw that headline too. I, it was baffled me. I, I wanted to read it. I actually um, was busy at the time. I didn't get back to it. Do you, you actually read what said, Mason? No, I did not because I just, I just didn't. That's just. I mean, I honestly, I, I can, I can look at the situation and judge it myself. I really don't need a newspaper from miles and miles away. I know it's a national paper judging my football team or and the situation. You know, I. That's kind of what my point is. I have the people around here that I know and trust, and they've been here for a long time. They're going to be here after this, and they were here before. Those are the people I trust around here, not really these people that just pop up, make their judgment, tear down a university, and apparently have put them to the point where they're under a review board and then walk away with it and are happy with what they've done. That's not what I'm about, and that's really not what I believe most people should be about. What I'm about is long-time people that have – earn trust and they're respected around this university and they're the people that break all the stories like it's not like the new york times came in here and broke this whole thing and that's why they're here it's it's not like that it's just that but that might just be me i don't know what the people out there really think anymore well we could go on this topic probably all day but let's keep moving so we talked about this a little bit in our last mega podcast which blew up by the way thanks for everybody who listened to that 
and everybody who's still here as well. Um, but who do we think Maryland's next head coach should be? Ooh, that's a tough one. That is a really tough question. I know a lot of people think it's easy, Mike Loxley, but I differ from that every once in a while. Bruce did a great job on the last podcast of really stating why Loxley should be here. Yeah, I agree. He, Bruce, and to recap I was that, Well, I wasn't sold on Mike Loxley, but Bruce kind of did at least get me considering him again. To recap what he said, Bruce and a lot of people have said that on various sites and various information wires that Mike Loxley is the only person that can really repair what has gone down here, repair the trust with the high school coaches, with the families of this area. He is beloved around the DMV. Yeah, he's, he's the only guy for that job. He's especially successful at recruiting high schools around here, which is why so many kids around here have gone to Alabama recently. Um, but I do have several concerns, namely um, some people credit him with Alabama's insanely efficient offense this season. But as you pointed out earlier, Mason, he doesn't call the plays at Alabama. And I don't know how much coaching he actually does there. I assume he does, you know, a fair amount, but I don't know. Oh, I assume sure. he does. I thought that his scheme, even though I didn't always like it, I really hate that shotgun on fourth and one. Hate it when we run it now. Hate it when Walt Bell did it. Hate it when Loxley did it. And I don't really like the check with me stuff, even though it's worked really well for Alabama. And just for people that don't know what that is, that is when there's a play call and then the offense turns to the sideline to get another one or to adjust whatever they're doing. That's called check with me. Um, I'm not a fan of that. And But some of his scheme stuff, especially the utilization of Stefan Diggs, was good. Now, if Loxley can pull together this staff, keep guys like Azar and Coach Brumbaugh and Coach Heater, then I'm completely for it because when I was looking at the game yesterday, this defense is an 8-4, and 9-3 and three defense, and the offense just, they can't hold up what's going on. They're like a 2-10 and 10 offense, and... Hopefully we'll come out somewhere in the middle around 7-5 and five or 7-6 si- and six by the end of this. Well, I like I understand the Mike Lox argument very very well, and I agree with a lot of points. I especially do think that he would instantly build the bridges with the high schools in the area, with the families, because, yeah, he's a DMV guy, 100%, 100,000% a DMV guy. He's also a top 10 recruiter in the country, no questions asked. But again, the coaching aspect scares me because I've just seen it so much now in all levels of football where you get top-tier talent and then the coaching staff can't utilize it well. Um, An example at professional level would be that, like, the Cleveland Browns have, in my opinion, playoff-level talent, but they can't figure out how to use it. Well, yeah. And I, and yeah. I think our offense is at a similar point right now in that I think Kasim Hill, Jay Sean Jones, Ty Johnson, all these guys – are at least a 6-6 six and six offense, but I don't think they're being utilized extremely well right now. No, but that's that's will bring us to our next topic, which is the actual game. And before we get to that, this podcast is also brought to you by MD Eurocars. When you're looking for someone to work on your European car, look no further than Maryland Eurocars. We have a few Audis in the family and some BMWs at the office, and we take our cars to Christian at Maryland Eurocars. Christian and his team know their way around. Audis, BMWs, Mercedes, Bentleys, VWs, and many more makes and models. Always friendly, courteous, and honest, along with being an extra clean shop. Maryland Eurocars is the best place to take your prized automobile 
and they are the most reasonably priced shop in town. Located in Rockville, you can call them at 301-217-5831. That's Christian at Maryland Eurocars at 301-217-5831. And tell them the Young Terps sent you. So before we move on to the game itself, Mason, do you have anybody else that you would like to mention as a possible head coach for Maryland? Really, I don't want to talk about it right now just because this team, it's not like they're done. It's not like when Maryland decided that the Etzel thing finally wasn't working and they moved on and that went to Coach Loxley that then you know went on to DJ Durkin. But for this team, they're still a bowl. Still, I'm not going to say very likely anymore, but it's still likely. And they just got a lot in front of them, and I don't really want to talk about it right now. If you want some names, of course, I can throw them out. Uh, I'll leave it up to you. All right, well, let's talk about the game, and then maybe we can swing back to it by the end of the podcast. Fair uh, enough. 24-3. to The chances were there. I'll say that. Byron Coward, of course, was the biggest one, which looked like it was going to be a pick six for Maryland to make the score 17-10. to He then, sadly, fumbled on the one-yard line. Ball went into the end zone. Michigan State recovered, giving them a first down on their own 20, and the next play was a 80-yard run. For a touchdown. Well, that was the end of the game. Let's be real. That that play was the end of the game. Um, the whole game, of course, was felt overshadowed by everything that was going on around College Park. But from a football perspective, man, did the offense suck in this game. Yeah, Kasim Hill, 8 for 21, 74 yards on the game. Really bad game compared to what happened. Last week against Illinois, where he kind of exploded, and everyone was like, yeah, that's Kasim Hill. That game was Kasim Hill. That's what we know he can be. From a rushing standpoint, Ty Johnson missed the game after be- after being named a game-time decision with, was it a wrist injury? I'm not remembering right now. It was some sort of hand injury. Tayon Fleet-Davis led the way for the Terps with eight carries for 26 yards. As a team, Maryland had 29 rushes for 26 yards. Yeah, we were horrendous on the ground in this game. I really, and I know a lot of people love Anthony McFarland, but I think we really missed Ty Johnson in this game. And where was Javon Leak, the guy who exploded last week? Two carries for a yard. It's just, it's like with Maryland, it's like Turgeon in basketball. And a lot of people don't like how Turgeon with the, we call it, what, hockey line shifting kind of, where he takes yeah. five guys out. As soon as the guy gets hot, some a lot of people feel that he takes him right out of the game. Well, that's kind of the Maryland running back situation. I mean, Javon Leak, who went off last week, did something that no Big Ten player has ever done, being the specialist of the week and the offensive player of the week, gets two touches. I mean, I know we didn't have a lot of plays in this game, but two touches, come on. Um, I don't know what the explanation for that Um is I don't even know what to say to that. I think in general, like I said, Ty Johnson, he provides a lot of leadership in the huddle on the field. I think we missed him. We also missed his what limited power he had. Anthony McFarland's almost an outside guy exclusively. Um, I do want to point out, I we did design a play for Desha- for Deshaun Jones to pass the ball though. Yeah, well, he ended up scrambling, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he did, but. I thought it was at least fun that he got the chance again. Speaking of Deshaun Jones, the passing attack. Here's our question, Mason. When was the last time we had a real passing attack consistently in College Park? 
I would say consistently. I mean, it depends on what you want to define as a true passing attack. I would go with C.J. Brown when he had Diggs and Long around that time. What was that, 2012? It was 2014, 13. It's just, it's been a while. But it has never been this bad. This was, and I really, you know, hate to say it given everything that happened this week. This was a Sean Petty level offense. That is brutal, but that's actually pretty fair. We have no spark with a passing game. I said it before, I'll say it again. We're a triple option team, effectively. We don't have enough throwing. We don't have any pa- enough passing game to make anybody respect to throw at all. And I think it was really apparent as Michigan State just stacked the box over and over again, and we just couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, I would agree with that. But the offensive line play in this game just – it wasn't good. And a lot of these games you can say, well, Kasim, there were plays where he had time. I felt that Kasim Hill did not have time to throw in this game. When he did, there were, weren't many guys open. And as far as play calling, I really don't know if you're Matt Canada when your offensive line is supposed to be the biggest, possibly the biggest, or the second biggest strength what you do when you can't block anybody. Because, I mean, they, they were running blitz plays where we were just getting beat around corners or guards were being pushed back into the quarterback. I just There's a lot that you can put on Kasim Hill. There's a lot that you can put on um, some of the wide receiver play. But when you don't give your quarterback ample time and when you got guys just being shoved in his face, hands in his face, you know, it becomes hard, especially when a rhythm is just been established. Even if you want to call that Illinois game a start of some rhythm, it has just been established. And you really need the line to play well, and they they just didn't. That's flat out it. And when you're a running team and your offensive line doesn't play well, it, it's over. That's pretty much that's it. And you saw it. If you're a Redskins fan today, you saw it. And if you're a Ravens fan, you know, you know what happens when three of your starting linemen don't play. Yeah, unfortunately you do. And the defense played good enough in this game, in my opinion. They weren't anything to write home about, but they kept us in the game long enough that we should have been able to, you know, make it a game. Yes, they did. They almost actually brought the game back. And we've seen this now, and it's it's very unfortunate. Well, uh, first of all, I'll start off with, they're not losing games by 35 to 66 anymore, or 63. They're They're in the game. They might not. You might not think they have a chance to win, but at least they're not getting blown out the window. And I know Michigan State is not a team that's ever beaten Maryland by more than 22 points. But Michigan State's a good football team, and I know they're not ranked, but they play that style of football that's absolutely bulldoze Maryland. Yeah, that classic Big Ten style is our kryptonite because we just... I, I know this offensive line's supposed to be good, and you mentioned this earlier, but... We don't have the horses to compete with these guys still. That's really but, frustrating but, at this point. Let me tell you, most people's problem is that they are supposed to. Damian Prince and Derwin Gray are four-star guys. Brendan Moore is also one. Johnny Jordan's another one. Christie, Christie's the only guy that isn't of that star rating, but he's a fifth-year senior now. I believe he's a fifth-year senior. Davis is a four-star guy. Highly, just highly thought of when he was coming to Maryland from DeMatha. 
Now, they've had three line coaches in the past three years. That's one thing that you could say about this. But you're telling me that we don't have the horses to compete when a lot of people thought if there was one place on the line on this team, excuse me, on this team, that they had the horses, it was on the offensive line. And it just it hasn't shown all year. I know we started off with injuries, but now you're in game number eight. And these guys have been healthy for a while. And you Actually, you're number nine. But continue. You expect more. And it didn't happen for this line. Really, it hasn't against the prime top-tier competition. The other problem that I'm hearing about before the games and after the games is it's not like the offense is bad. Like, they limp out of the Rutgers game, the Minnesota game, the Illinois game. No, they look absolutely fantastic in those football games. And then it's really disappointing to a lot of fans when games like Iowa and Michigan State happen. Now, we've had two of these games, and I was just going to get to this before, where you can point to a few plays, and Coach Candace said it about the Iowa game, and he's probably going to say it about this Michigan State, or he did say it after the game against Michigan State yesterday. If you look back at a few plays, you can point to them and say, if we just made those plays, we could have really competed in this football game. And that's my frustration, is Iowa, I know they lost 23 nothing. I know Iowa's defense played fantastic in that game. But there were a few plays where you can say, if you just made those, you really compete. And against Michigan State, the Cowart plays one. The Ravon Davis interception, if you turn that into anything, that's another one. And you know what? Michigan State was making mistakes. They weren't playing sound football. They weren't playing that Wisconsin, where we don't make mistakes, and we're going to beat you 17-3 to or 24-3. to They made mistakes, and you just couldn't capitalize. And that's that's the disappointment. Well, Mason's done ranting here. I have some more interesting statistics on this season. Kasim Hill's quarterback rating, passer rating, quarterback rating is a stat that measures general quarterback play, including sacks, rushing yards, etc. His quarterback rating is 36 out of a possible 120 score. Um, as probably the lower end of quarterbacks in the country. Our receiving leader, Tavon Jacobs, has only 239 yards. And we average dead last in the FBS in passing yards per game with 125. All right. Now I have some stats for you from the game on Saturday. Maryland had nine first downs the whole game, was three of 15 on third down, had 100 total yards, didn't have as many penalties as usual, and lost the possession time battle by 13 minutes. And the other thing about this game is Michigan State came into this game with the exact same record as Maryland and played very questionably multiple times this year. And they didn't particularly play well against the Terps. Their quarterback that started the game and did not finish the game, they played both Rocky Lombardi and Brian Lewerke. Lewerke was 11 for 20 for 87 yards and interception. And Rocky Lombardi was 0 for 2 in the game. He also threw a pick. Maryland's defense leads the NCAA or the FBS in turnovers. They have I mean in interceptions. They have sixteen interceptions on the season. They forced a turnover in every game and it's just it's just a real shame that how good this defense is and the offense really is struggling to hold them up in most of these games against the top tier teams. Now Trey Watson again just had a really good game. Thirteen tackles Isaiah Davis, Antoine Brooks, like these guys are 
some of them, and I believe actually a lot of players on this defense are NFL-level talent. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I think, yeah, the best, not the best majority, but at least there's a few on here that are. And, I, I mean, I feel like we're talking in circles now. The bottom line is the offense needs a miracle at this point if we're going to beat, if we're going to hang even for a little bit with Ohio State or Penn State. Whoa, 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 whoa. Penn State, Maryland played better against Michigan than Penn State did. Okay, yeah, you're right. Penn, Penn State, State has been, Penn State's Penn State's been an enigma. Good. Penn State's been an enigma all year. Um, but until, until we're both eligible, I don't think we need we should be planning to buy our tickets anywhere. Next week's game is an absolute must win. It is, and Indiana's going to put up a challenge. Indiana is not a bad football team. They, they've had a rough year, but they will pose a challenge. Yeah, Indiana's Indiana. been that. Well, I'll, let me finish what I was saying first. Indiana's been that team for me that I look at, and now Purdue is. Purdue's right there. They're in the third year of their coaching cycle, and who are they beating? They're beating Iowa, and they beat Ohio State. They they went off zero and three. They lost the game to Eastern Michigan. But what did they do? They came back and they beat Ohio State and Iowa. That really bothers me. Indiana's the team, the second team, and I'll get to what I'm saying about the Maryland Indiana game in a second. That competes against these top tier teams. They really haven't won a game against them yet, but they compete. And Indiana, they can run the football. They compete hard against Penn State by running the ball. It's a tough game, and Indiana's been that team that's. Really played tight games against Maryland. Well, Indiana is known in the Big Ten for being a thorn in the power side. They've always played their fellow Big Ten teams tough. But Indiana's situation right now is concerning for me because they have lost four straight games. Now, granted, three of those teams were Ohio State, Iowa, and Penn State. And now they are sitting at four and five. With Maryland, Michigan, and Purdue on their schedule, who do you think they're circling as the games need to win to be bill eligible? Um, I'm going to take a guess, Jordan, and say Maryland and Purdue. So they're going to be in the exact same situation we are, except more dire, because they need to win this game, or it's probably game over for them. So Purdue, not Purdue, sorry, Indiana is going to come out hitting us for anything that we have, and I don't know if we can handle it, but I suppose we're going to find out how tough this team really is. And we'll talk more about Indiana on Wednesday. And, of course, Maryland basketball tips off their season against Delaware on Tuesday. I'll be out at Xfinity Center along with Wayne and Bruce. And we'll have the Chirp Talk postgame show after the game on Tuesday night. The game's at 730. Just and... It's basketball season now, and at least we have that to comfort what's been a Really rough couple of weeks here, and honestly, a really rough couple of months for the players and the people close to this football program. I'd, I'd actually say this, these last two weeks have been disastrous for the university as a whole. Um, I will be sitting here <laughs> looking at, um, hopefully, a Big Ten Plus subscription. If anyone wants to give me a Big Ten Plus account, I'd appreciate it. Um, so what are you expecting on Tuesday night in College Park, Mason? Well, really quick, I'm expecting Maryland to honestly to come out and dominate. I feel like we saw a lot of positive things in the scrimmage in terms of Jalen Smith and really what we have in Daryl Morsell now, who's really taken 
his game up to that next level where he can shoot the three, which was big, put just big stress on Maryland with him playing and not being able to be a deep threat. Now he is. Um, I'm just I'm looking to see a lot of guys play. Cyril Smith, uh, Daryl Morsell, Jalen Smith, Bruno Fernando. Hopefully Bender will get some time out there. It's just it's time to start establishing the lineup. I already talked about it. I don't want to see a rotation of 10 or 11 guys. I want to see nine guys that can really play and focus in on those nine guys. We have to go deeper into the bench, and that's fine. But find a rotation, find a starting lineup, and let's go because Big Ten play is going to be here before you know it now with the larger schedule. And I think that kind of does it. Um, another disastrous week for Maryland football on and off the field. But now that we have mostly moved past the DJ Durkin era, we can focus on being bowl eligible. And what's next for the program after that? Yep, being bowl eligible, building for the future, and hopefully starting to repair some of the relationships around the community. That's going to do it for this podcast. We'll be back on Wednesday after the Terps basketball team tips off their 100th season of Maryland men's basketball. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors here on the podcast, starting off with Viner Four Gates. Viner Four Gates built TerpTalk.com and CapitalSportsBlog.com. They can build a website just like that for your business. Anything from construction to restaurants, Viner Four Gates can build any website to fit your business. You can call them at 301-251-2900 or visit the no, the number one, Viner.com. Allied Party Rentals, they can do it all, any size party, and they have all the materials for your perfect party, including anything from silverware to a dance floor to sound systems to DJs. They, they can do it all. Allied Party Rentals, you can visit their website at www.alliedpartyrentals.com. And Jordan, anytime that I'm looking to buy something, I always look at the reviews. And when you look at the reviews for Maryland Eurocars, they're great five stars on Yelp and Google reviews. They service your Audis, BMWs, Mercedes, Bentleys, VWs, and many more models. You can call Christian at Maryland Eurocars at 301-217-5831. Hopefully next week we'll be better, Jordan. Yep, that's all I can say. I'm looking forward to basketball season, though. I'm a basketball fan. And I'm, I'm excited to see what we got this year. As am I. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Intern Mason and Jordan at Jordan Viner. That's it for this podcast. We'll be back here on the podcast on Wednesday. Till then, as always, thanks for listening.